The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. So it's good. Well, I invite your attention this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, uh, actually starting in verse 16. And today's uh, uh, sermon title today is called Three Impossible Commands, Three Impossible Commands. And we're going to be looking at today, yes, uh, very different for our church, but kind of a Thanksgiving sermon, kind of not. But it's short enough verses, you can memorize this by the time you leave. There's going to be a test afterwards, so be prepared. Uh, there will be over these three short verses. Always rejoice, always pray, always give thanks. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through verses, uh, verse 18 there. Well, when a preacher's car broke down on a country road, uh, the, the preacher or pastor walked to a nearby roadhouse to use the phone. Now, you already know this is an old story because the, everyone would have an iPhone or an Android, right? Or one of those track phones you pay as you go. But after calling for a tow truck, the pastor spotted his old friend Frank. Well, Frank was a little uh, under the uh, drinking drunkenness and, and shabbily dressed, and he asked him, he said, what happened to you, Frank? You used to be very rich. Frank, the pastor's friend, told the sad tale of bad investments that led to his downfall. The pastor said, well, go home, Frank, open your Bible at random, stick your finger, I don't know what kind of pastor this was, by the way, open your Bible at random, stick your finger on the page, and there will be God's answer for you. So sometime later, after this incident, the, the pastor bumped into Frank again, who was wearing a Gucci suit, sporting a Rolex watch, and just stepped out of his Mercedes. And he said, Frank, I'm glad to see things have really turned around for you. He said, yes, preacher, I owe it all to you. I opened my Bible, I put my finger, and there was the answer, chapter 11. Guys, that's bankruptcy, by the way. So some of you, that's really going to take a minute to sink in. The man, no, no I'm not going to explain it. Does that make any sense to anybody? Some of y'all, there was like a, a pregnant pause there for like two seconds before that happened. I think you understand. Well, this man took something that should be used to cover and help people in times of need, bankruptcy, and turned it into something that it was not. And I'm here to tell you today that these three verses are often done in the very same way. Because we are going to look at these verses today, and we're going to say, rejoice, rejoice always. That means you always have to have a happy face on your face all the time. And you're praying always. All, so you're, you're walking around like this in Walmart. Hum, 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 hum. And you're always giving thanks. God, my water just flooded in my basement. Praise the Lord. Man, my tire got flat today. Whoa! I feel so good. Thank you, Jesus. Is that how it's supposed to really be? Just like this man who took some advice, and well, bad advice, mind you, but he took some advice and ran with it, so too we often do these things. We are well-intended, but we miss the mark. So what is then God's will for your life? How do you know what God wants you to do, especially these three short verses that we have 
before us. Well, Paul wrote this letter to these Christians in Thessalonica who were under great persecution. And he points them to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and tells them how to live. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, This is the will of God, that you abstain from sexual immorality. He was very clear on that. It's very clear cut. But after this, he brings them to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, which says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and always give thanks. And if I'm sitting in that congregation in Thessalonica, I'm thinking, I don't know what you had for breakfast, Paul, but that's impossible. You can't do that. How do you pray always, rejoice always, and always give thanks? I mean, who can do such a thing? Well, the psalmist, and Amy will put this up in Psalm 37, he says, the law of his God is in his heart, and his steps do not slip. Friends, these commands are truly impossible. If you try to rejoice all the time, you'll probably forget to pray. If you try to pray all the time, you'll probably forget to rejoice. And if you're thankful all the time, you'll probably forget to do one of the other. So how do we do this? How do we get these impossible commands as they're meant to be, not as they're not meant to be, in our lives, especially in a time like Thanksgiving? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. Because here's what it really is. The big idea is so simple, so straightforward. If you're visiting with us, the big idea is just our summary of the whole sermon. It's very simple. How do you do this? It's very easy. God's will 101. This is your class. Here it is. You obey what he says to do. You repeat what he says to do. Not verbally, but you actually do it. When you mess up, you confess it, and you repent. If you do this, you'll always be where he wants you to be, doing what he wants you to do. And that's what it is. But let me tell you, it's almost impossible. Because didn't Jesus himself say, be therefore perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? Yet we know that's not how we live our lives. We know this is not what it is. So it is God's will for you to rejoice always. It is God's will for you to pray always. It is God's will for you not to be Eeyore like uh, on Winnie the Pooh and how are you? I'm fine. He wants you to be thankful. But verse 18 says, and we'll get there in a moment, that this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, that to do these things is to be about the business of Jesus himself. Unsaved people don't rejoice in God, unsaved people don't pray to God, and unsaved people don't give thanks to God. Religious people sometimes rejoice, they sometimes pray when they feel like it, and they sometimes give thanks when things are going well. But a true Christian will always give thanks, will always pray, will always do these things because of who God is and what He has done for them in Jesus Christ. And so, friends, today, I want to give you three ways to stay in the will of God as it's intended, not as the impossible commands seem to be. Three things are right out of the text. You're going to rejoice always, you're going to pray without ceasing, and you're going to give thanks in all circumstances. Let's stand together, and I hope you have this memorized already. You can even cheat. It's on the screen, right? So here we go. Stand up if you're able today in honor of God's Word as we read three verses in the middle of a context, three impossible commands today that we will look at and apply to our lives. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's read it again. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, or you have the old King James, pray unceasingly or unwaveringly, your, your translation might say, 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for Christ Jesus for you. Guys, today I I pray uh, as I went through this, we can talk. Theology is always practical. The things we believe are always practical. You believe when you sit in a chair, it's going to hold you up. That's very practical, isn't it? Because you might fall on the floor. You believe when you get in an airplane, it's going to take you from one place to the next safely. So it is with the Bible. These are theological concepts, but I want them to be as practical as they can be because these verses are more than just Thanksgiving. This is everyday life as we will get to it. The will of God for you, for me. Let's pray together as we start. Fathers, we come before you. We don't need to be like that man who took the bad advice of a preacher and took it to an extent it wasn't meant to be. And Father, as we look at these commands, uh, if we're honest, we're overwhelmed by the thought of them. Who has time to rejoice always? Who has time to pray always? And Father, really, we have to be thankful in all circumstances. So Lord, as we get into the, the, the deep depths of hopefully what these verses actually mean and how they apply to us, not only as a church, but as individuals and families and, and men and women and children, young and old and all the like, would you be glorified? Father, as we enter a holiday week, we remind ourselves to be thankful. But Father, even when everything else is said and done and no one is looking, may these three commands of Paul to this church, applicable to us, be also among our hearts as well. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, the first thing we're going to look at, the first way you stay in God's will, and this is so clear from the text, so straightforward, is you rejoice always. And so, you know, and this is an interesting thing. I and mean, if I asked you what the shortest verse in the Bible is, many of you all would say, Jesus, what? He wept, right? This is actually, verse 16, the shortest verse in the Greek in the Bible. I, I didn't know that. I learned that this week. And, and so what you need to know is that the shortest verse is so straightforward. Rejoice always. Always rejoice. But it's a little verse with big implications. You see, if you go back up in the context, and we're not, we did not read this, but if you just glance over verses 12 to 15 in chapter 5, Paul instructs the readers how to treat each other. In fact, in verse 15, he says, See that no one repays any evil for evil, but always seek to do good for one another and to every one. This verse assumes people will wrong you. Verse 15 assumes that people are, aren't always going to treat you fairly. They will say offensive things to you and do hurtful things to you. But you must not get even with them. This is relatively easy to do if you can bless evildoers with your absence and not have anything to do with them. But how can you treat people right no matter how they treat you? Paul tells you in verse 16, he says, rejoice always. I mean, you've done that before, right? Like when your kids are getting mad, parents or grandparents, and you're just smiling ear to ear because everything they're doing isn't bothering you, you have won that victory, have you not? Because all their antics aren't going to get a rise out of you because you're just happy because you're happy. And that's what Paul is calling them to do. How do you stay in the will of God? You do this first impossible command. You rejoice. And the rejoice is a call to joy. It's more than a term of worship. It's, it's, it, it was a word of salutation. It's, in the old days, it used to be used as a way to say hello and mean it very nicely. We typically greet each other with hello or goodbye, don't we? But what an encouragement it would be if we departed each other with a reminder to be rejoicing, be joyful no matter what life brings you. 
In verse 16, Paul tells these saints in Thessalonica to rejoice. It is a command. It literally is, it, 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 it's more than happiness. I mean, come on, guys. We're entering Black Friday deals this Friday, right? Many of you have already bought your Christmas stuff for yourself, I'm sure, first, and all the good stuff, but it's there. You're, is anyone still go to the stores anymore? Is anyone get out to the stores? Amen. Praise the Lord. Two of y'all, Fred and Jeff, uh, the two least that I would have expected, actually get out. But this word here is rejoice. Notice he does not say, be happy always. Notice he does not say, Akuma Matata means no worries for the rest. That's Lion King for you guys. He says, rejoice always. Happiness is so fleeting, isn't it? Oh, I had a brother this morning in a meeting tell me last, uh, this morning that he about gave up on his favorite football team last, uh, last Monday night when they about lost to the, the hapless Chargers because happiness can be fleeting with a sports team, can't it? But they won, Fred. Amen. I, I, there's one in every crowd, let me tell you. But he says rejoice. He does not say be happy. Christian, let me remind you that your joy is not contingent upon your happiness in this life. That your joy is not contingent upon your circumstances in this life. These people were being mistreated for their faith, and they got to the stage where he commands them rejoice always. Christians are commanded to rejoice. No situation cancels that out ever. To live in grief, sadness, and depression for a long period of time without giving the joy back to God is actually to be in sin according to this verse. 2 Corinthians 6.10 says, We are, quote, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, end quote. So the command is, is in the present tense. It means keep on rejoicing, keep on doing, keep on being happy in the Lord, no matter what is before you. So does this mean you always go around and smile on your face, to use another Winnie the Pooh analogy, upbeat and have a tigger bounce around you? You know those people. They never, Nothing gets them down. They're just always happy. We have some in this congregation. I love you all. But are you sinning if you ever feel sad? If you ever feel depressed, upset, or grieved, no, I don't think so. But I think what he's saying is if you allow that sadness, that depression, that upsetness, and that grieving to overtake your joy in the Lord, then you're crossing a line that does lead not to honoring God, but dishonoring God. I hope you see that. Look, if you've lost someone this holiday season, is it okay to grieve over them? Yeah, I, I would hope you would. Is it okay to be sad when something comes your way that you don't... It just tears you up inside. Yes, friends, please don't mishear this. The impossible command here is that he tells you to do it always. And isn't this what he told the Philippians? Finally, finally, brothers, Philippians 3.1, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, that old song, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. You know that song. Glad we didn't sing that today because it'll never get out of my head because it's always there. So, but you've met those Christians before, right? Haven't you? Uh, there's a man I used to know who had, who had major problems in his life, but whenever you asked him how he was doing, he always just said, I'm praising the Lord. He seemed to think that it would be unspiritual to reply, I'm struggling with some things. I think he brought into the positive confession something that everything was always positive around him. That's not the world we live in, folks. And Paul's not asking you to be unrealistic here. 
What he's telling you is not to put on a happy face and just say you're praising the Lord. What he's saying is it's a conscious attitude of contentment. It's a, it's a choice to be hopeful and happy that comes from focusing on Jesus despite what's going on in your life. Sometimes, as John Piper has put it so well, and if, you don't, if you've never read this book before, let me just give you a great recommendation. This quote comes from here, but he, Piper wrote a book, and I don't agree with Piper on everything, I'm not a Piperite, but he wrote a book quote, called, When I Don't Desire God. When I Don't Desire God. Go spend five bucks at the bookstore and pick it up. He said, sometimes you have to fight for joy in the Lord. Pastor Nelson is, is classic for this. The Psalms are all about this, aren't they, brother? The Psalms are all about the psalmist coming to real life and saying, God, how can the wicked prosper? How can your people suffer? You're God. Why are you not blessing us? And he goes from this extreme over here of saying, God, it's crazy, to reminding himself with a conscious, hopeful attitude, a choice being made that no matter what I'm facing, I'm going to praise the Lord. Not because I have to look super spiritual, but because there's no other choice. Everything else around me is crazy. He's the only stronghold I have. I'm going to praise the Lord. And so what we know today is that we see the psalmist crying out time and time again, Rejoice in the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. So how do we do this? First, I think, and I, don't want, to, I, I want to put these words up, and Amy, if you want to put the first one, that's fine. I don't want these to seem like pie in the sky, like, oh, this is pastor talk. This is what you're supposed to say. It's about Jesus. I mean, if you don't preach Jesus, we're going to get mad at you. If you do preach Jesus, we know that's what you're supposed to say. Guys, rubber meets the road. When life is crazy and you can't rejoice, your first thing that you apply this with is you focus the day on the riches God has given you in Jesus Christ. That's what you do. Look, when your investments have gone south, when your money's not what it is, your health has gone south, when even the ministry opportunities that you share the gospel with people, the doors have closed on you, and you are in the dumps, I encourage you to go back to Ephesians chapter 1. We went through this three months ago, didn't we, church, as we went through the book of Ephesians, which wrapped up today. But God chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. And in love, He predestined you to adoption as His child. He freely bestowed upon you His grace in Jesus Christ. In Him, you have redemption and forgiveness of your sin, lavished upon by His grace. He has made known to you the mystery of His will, and He has given you the inheritance and sealed you now in the Holy Spirit of promise. So what is our problem? We have every reason to rejoice. Second, and again, I want these to be biblical. I don't want these to seem pie in the sky. You know, sometimes a preacher will say, love God more, love God more. And at the end of the thing, you say, well, how do I love God more, right? Second one is this, walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, is it not? Galatians 5.22, to walk in the Spirit means you get before the Lord, whether that, is on the, whether that is on your car on the way to work, or that's on your exercise, or that's on your floor, or for some of you all this time, you're just underneath the covers because you're afraid to pull them out because it's so cold when you get, that, get out of the bed. And you just simply say, Lord, this day is yours. Everything I have is yours. Everything I give is yours. Lord, I rely on you to take control of every situation I face today. And even if I am the one who gets the short end of the stick, Lord, still I will praise you. 
because I want to rejoice always. And it's going to take time to produce that fruit. Fruit doesn't just pop up on a tree. We wish it did. But if you walk consistently and say, Lord, I want to focus on the fact that you saved me, that you, if you can save me, you can take this situation, I'm going to choose to rejoice today. Not put on a super happy face when I don't feel happy, but Lord, I'm going to rejoice in you because you are the one who's promised me the greatest joy, which is knowing you. And the third one, I thought about our church for this. You have to sing. Now, we have a brother here who, who helps us with our music that this is like second nature. He walks around and he sings all the time. We don't know who that guy is, do we? He like walks around and says, rejoice, rejoice, hallelujah, you know, just sings it out. But seriously, for some of you, this might be the most practical thing you can get. Sing. Take a song. Take, take a song on the radio with decent theology. Take a psalm. Take one of the songs we've done. Pop in an old cassette player. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's Petra or Carmen, and, and you're getting really old. I'm talking to our pastor up front. He was like a kid when that happened. First, whatever it is, sing. Well, I don't sound very good. Pastor doesn't care. Nobody cares. What matters is that your heart is set to praise the Lord and rejoice in Him. Friends, I, I think some of the greatest health, our church, and we're praying for this, some of the greatest health that comes from our church is when we sing together. If you really want to experience what music is like, come sit on the front row. That's why my son wears these things most of the time, because it gets loud up here, because you all sing so well. Sing out. Sing even when it hurts. Sing even when you don't feel like it. Sing to God because He says that He is worthy and it's worthy to be rejoiced in. Darren, these are impossible. How do I focus each day, walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, and sing? You pray for grace. But I want you to know, Paul doesn't give you any wiggle room. He doesn't say, well, you know, if you're not feeling up to it, or well, you know, if you're just not feeling the Jesus fuzzies today, he says rejoice always. And it is a command. And I need to ask myself that because I have to look at that. I am more of a half glass uh, empty kind of guy. I don't know if some of y'all are. You know, most of y'all can bounce around and be happy all the time. I'm the half glass empty. Well, what about this? 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 This should convict those of us like this to remind ourselves that God really is worthy to be worshipped, even in times we hate it, even in times we don't like it. Rejoice always. That's the first reason we stay in the will of God. Second thing is this. Notice verse 2. That one, yeah, that one's in the ballpark. But what about this next one? Some of y'all are ready to ship off to uh, Conception Abbey up by uh, the Iowa border because you're ready to rejoice always at this point. But the next one is, is, is pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Do you see that there? Or, or, or pray without wavering? Pray without ceasing? He tells us here to do it. And, and this word is this word prayer is used four different times in the New Testament in different ways. But it's a prayer here that comes to God in, in, in a way that is like a needy child comes to a dad or a mom in the middle of the night to help them with something. The word prayer here, pray continually, is a term not about how to pray, but when to pray. Note that. It's not the how. It's not the position. It's not the location. It's the when. So what does it mean to pray without ceasing? Well, it can't be that we should always be on our knees talking to God in prayer, right? Your employer might get a little mad when they ask you to answer the phone and you're down on your knees praying all the time. That might be a little weird. That's impossible, but don't use that as a loophole. You can't always be in prayer, but you can always be prayerful. Do you see that difference? You can't always be praying, but you can always be prayerful. 
Dr. Edmund Hebert said it wisely, I think. He said, in the Christian life, the act of prayer is the intermission, but the spirit of prayer should be always about us. And so he tells us to do it without ceasing, without ceasing. I mean, you breathe without ceasing, right? You're still breathing, aren't you? I hope you are. You're breathing without ceasing. Some of you all feel like this time you're going to eat without ceasing. But at the end of the day, he tells us to do it continuously, to pray continually. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1-2, he said, We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 2-13, same book. Paul says, We also thank God constantly for you, that when you received the word, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Paul always gave thanks and prayed for the Thessalonian church. And in the same sense, he always called them to pray. They could not pray all the time, but they were commanded to pray without ceasing. Now, can I be gross for a second? Are you awake? Be gross for a second? The word prayer here has a cousin word with it. It's like a hacking cough. You know that. I told you before, I was always scared of preachers growing up because it always seemed like they were angry, but I think it's because they had phlegm in their throat. They were always like, ah, you know, doing that sort of thing. Look, have you ever had a bad cough? You can't shake it. You're coughing all the time. The cough drops don't work. Nothing is there. In the midst of conversation, you got to do one of these. <coughs> do one of those. You try not to draw attention to yourself, but you can't hide your need to cough. And the need to cough wakes you up at night. It's that bad. You all know what that is. Some of you all with that right now. And I like to say, like to say it happens after prayer, but it may be better to say it happens if you don't stop praying. It's the same thing. This prayer is to be so continual like a cough. It's like that cough that can't go away. Your prayers are to be in a positive sense, in a God-glorifying sense, like that, that itch down in your throat that you can't seem to get away. That the itch for prayer is always constant, that no matter where you are, no matter what time it is, it's not the how, it's the when. And so when you pray, it's like that constant cough. It's like that constant going back to the source and checking whether you're still there, still alive, and still beating inside. That's what it's called. Luke 18.1 reminds us, and he told them a parable to the effect they ought to always pray and not give up. Romans 12.12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And of course, many of you are familiar with Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests may be known unto God. So this verse is a command. It's a privilege. It's an imperative and an invitation. It's an obligation and an opportunity to pray without ceasing means the Father in heaven has an open-door policy. It's not just when the confessional booth is open and the pastor's in the church that you can pray. It's all the time. To pray without ceasing means you can just show up, if you were, at the White House whenever we want to and walk into the Oval Office and say, hey, Mr. President, how you doing? And you can walk right in without any security guards or any wands going across you. We have that kind of access. Hebrews 4, since then we have such a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in times of need. So, friends, how do we develop a habit of prayer like this? Amy, if you want to go ahead and put this up. The first thing I want you to do, how do you do this? 
this impossible command. Let me just give you some, some, some suggestions. First, as Paul Miller has said, well, you, you know that you can't do life on your own. You need to pray like your life depends on it. Do we pray that way? Do we pray for our church that way? Do we pray for our church as we reach out in the neighborhood that all the conversions of people's souls in eternity are not done by our wiles or or schemes, but it's done by the sovereign hand of God working through His Holy Spirit? I'm going to share a name with you. She's from the neighborhood, and you better be praying. It's talking about this. You pray for A-M-Y, Amy, one of the ladies we've been talking with for the last uh, Derek brother year and a half, I think. It's been a long time coming. She will be here at 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning in the first room, the the preschool room over there, she wants to know more about the gospel. She's a Wiccan, she's a shaman, she's a spiritist, and she came to us a month ago and says, look, I want to know why I am wrong. Tell me from the Bible why I'm wrong. She came with a humble spirit. Pray for Amy to be saved. And when we walk in that room, we are going to pray like our life depends on it, because nothing I can say or do or our team can say or do can ever change a heart. The second step is this, and some of y'all love this. Send up short prayers whenever you can, right? God, I need a parking spot. It's holiday shopping at Walmart. Would you please open that front row for me? It's not what we're talking about here. It's a little bit different than that. You shoot up short prayers when you can. Look, guys, I, I think it's necessary as possible, as much as possible, to follow this command, to live in the will of God, to have a time set aside in your life where you spend intentional alone time with the Lord. You need to do that. Whether that's at night, whether that's in the morning, whether that's at your lunch break, whether that's whatever, find a time to do that. You need that one-to-one time with God. But for the rest of the day, as you pray continually, pray without ceasing, pray unwaveringly, you need to send up short prayers. When many of you walk into my office as you do, I, there are times I just say, Lord, I don't know what to say to this person. Lord, just give me the, give me the words to say. When you're with your boss, and some of you have bosses that are very hard and very hard to follow, Lord, give me the grace to respond well to this. Parents, when you're dealing with kids in the midst of a fit, Lord, give me the patience of Job and the strength of Samson, right? And that's what you pray. (laughs) But you send up short prayers. But if your spiritual life is only short prayers, God, hear me here, hear me here, hear me here, I think we're missing the point. Because as Amy put up there, you need to have a scheduled time of prayer. But when he says pray without ceasing, he's not calling you to a monastery far away. He's calling you in everyday life to center your, lo- your work, your family, your whole day around this fact that God is in heaven, you're not, you're dependent on him, you live through him, and he's the only one who can take you. I mean, think about it. How can you rejoice unless you know there's someone out there to help you? I uh, blew a tire out a few weeks ago on that first snowstorm and uh, a couple weeks back, and uh, we got the kids to school safe. It worked out just fine. But I didn't rejoice until AAA showed up with, a, with, the, with the pump, right, with everything. There was, I was cold in that car trying to sit there, work on the church stuff and the computer with gloves on and do that sort of thing. It, it was fine, but it worked. I prayed, but there was a lot of rejoicing that came when that prayer request was answered. You see that? You can rejoice to the extent at which you pray. Because what do you have to rejoice over except that which God has answered your prayer? Lord, you have saved me. You have raised me from the dead. You have brought me from darkness to life. We rejoice in that. Lord, we we prayed for this need in our family, and you answered that prayer. Oh, we rejoice with you. See how it's all connected, the rejoicing to the prayer. And finally, and Amy, I think there might be one more to throw up there quickly. 
you need some good books about prayer. And I wrote some down I want you to, 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 to take. Uh, these books about prayer are, are ones you can look into. I would recommend to you, uh, first off, I'd recommend to you the, uh, uh, the, any book by, by uh, Don Whitney on prayer. He's talked about praying through the Bible, Don Whitney praying through the Bible. If you're not familiar with Don Whitney, he used to teach here at Midwestern, but he's been around for many years. He's a, he's a godly man. I would also recommend to you uh, uh, George Mueller. Uh, he's an old dead guy. George Mueller. Uh, that just makes me want to recommend him, doesn't he? Patsy, we, we talk about old dead guys a lot around here, don't we? George Mueller wrote a book called Answers to Prayer. And Mueller was in England in the 1850s, and they had an orphanage about the size of Pleasant Valley Baptist Church. About, I mean, literally, in size and, and in girth. He never once asked for fundraisers. He always prayed. And this is a shock to many of us because he prayed. And did you know what? For over, I think, 30 or 40 years, every time there was food that was needed or this repair needed or that repair needed, God opened the door every single time with an answer to his prayer. He never went on Caleb for a week and said, well, it's the fall. We've got to have a week of fundraising. If you give right now, you'll be entered into a drawing to get a free T-shirt for or a trip to Cancun. George Mueller's answers to prayers are about his journey of God blessing his life as leading that orphanage as he provided. God provided one thing at a time. Guys, give thanks, or, or pray always, rejoice always. And finally, number three, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Look, true Christians are marked by unforgiveness. This is why in churches, the greatest cancer to a church is a church member or a pastor who always has a negative thing to say about the church. Do you see that? When we get so down in the dumps about what God is doing in our midst, we miss the blessing of what comes from verse 18. If you got your Bible, I want to read it to you again. Notice what it says. Give thanks. That's a command. Give thanks in all circumstances. And, and he's talking specifically about this verse. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, an ungrateful Christian is an oxymoron. It makes no sense. One of the worst things you can call a person is ungrateful. Is it not? How much worse for a person who is saved by God's grace to be ungrateful. I want you to turn with me. If you've got your Bible, save your spot there. Go to Romans chapter 1. Go to Romans chapter 1. I want to show you something. And I think many of you know where this is headed. But I want to show you that's about ungratefulness. As you're turning to Romans chapter 1, I want you to, to go uh, to verse 21. Uh, and we will read this. And I want to remind you in Romans chapter 1 that Paul is writing about some of the most heinous sins the world has ever known. Men wanting to be women. Women wanting to be men. Men sleeping with other men. Women sleeping with other women. They are, they're grossly doing things that God condemned all throughout Scripture. Look, if you have someone who's in a homosexual, LGBTQT+, whatever relationship, we love them with a backbone. Do you understand? You love them. You share the grace of God with them. It is a sin, but we're going to extend grace. They're always welcome here, but we pray God opens their eyes. But that's not what Paul says is their biggest sin. Look at verse 21. He tells you the biggest sin these people have are not those things. Verse 21, Romans chapter 1, For although they knew God, 
they did not honor God or give what? They did not give gratitude or give thanks to Him, but they were futile in their thinking, and they and their foolish hearts were darkening. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Friends, God says the sin wasn't the major problem. It was. The actions that were happening were a problem. The problem was they did not care a lick about what God gave them because they wanted everything that the world gave them. Ungratefulness is something that should not be among God's people. Sinners are ungrateful. Saints are thankful. I'm not saying that non-Christians can't be sincerely grateful or genuinely thankful. I'm saying that only Christians can obey 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Turn back to that, if you will, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. What he's telling them is that only those who are in Christ can say this, give thanks circumstances. In verses 16 and 17, he uses the word always and without ceasing. But in verse 18, he focuses on the circumstances. Many commentators here are quick to note that the verse says, give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we should not thank God for our sin. In fact, here's a very simple question that we should ask before we do something. Can I thank God for what I'm about to do? That show that just popped on, can I thank God if I watch this show? You know, there was a big debate, and I'm glad it will. There's a big debate whether uh, Christians should be watching a, a, a Viking show on HBO and whether uh, we should be watching many things and all these things. Look, friends, if there's anything that's glorifying sin to the degree that, that even uh, Hollywood has to call it pretty evil, Christians should not even be thanking God for that. Would you agree? We need to be very careful. The Puritan commentator Matthew Henry was robbed one day while he was walking down the streets, and he commented on these verses, and he told the story. He said this. He said, I'm thankful that during these years I've never been robbed until now. Also, even though they took my money, they did not take my life. And although they, they took all I had, it was not much. And finally, I'm grateful that it was I who was robbed and not somebody else. This is what it means, he says, to give thanks in all circumstances. Friends, we give thanks in all circumstances because Romans 8.28 tells us that, and we know that those who love God and who are called according to His purpose, He will work all things together for their what? For their good. You can't give thanks in all circumstances if you focus on your circumstances. You must run to the cross and find Jesus Christ. Amy, if you just want to put those up for sake of time. How do you develop an attitude of thankfulness? Guys, it starts here. You deepen your understanding of who God is and His sovereignty. Look, we are quick, aren't we? Uh, you know, we've been reading, of course, we have kids' Bibles and that sort of thing. Our kids love the story of Jonah. Don't you love that story? We preached on it almost five years ago. It's hard to believe. And Jonah gets swallowed by the big fish or whale or humpback whale, whatever it was. It actually happened. We believe that. And we say, God, and it says in there, God told the fish to swallow Jonah. And we're okay with that. 
But when we get to other verses of the Bible and it says God chose people to be saved, we have trouble with that. Well, what about my free will? What about these things? Look, let's not solve all that right now. But what I want to remind you is if you believe God can use a fish to swallow Jonah, why do you not believe that he can bring circumstances in your life that are not favorable to you to make you understand more about him? Because he does. Daniel was just praying. You remember this? Daniel was doing what God told him to do, to go pray. He was praying up in his thing, and what happened to Daniel? He found some folks who didn't like him praying, and they threw him in the lion's den. Do you remember that story? They threw him in there, and he was doing exactly what God had him to do. Joseph was following God. He was doing exactly what God said him to do. He was accused of being a rapist. He was thrown in jail. He was misunderstood. He was forgotten by the butler. And yet he knew at the end of his days, Genesis 50, 20, he told his brothers after his dad died, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, for the saving of many lives. A deep understanding of God's sovereignty in his life. You may have had the worst week ever, but I want to remind you that God is still good working through all those circumstances in your life. Last thing, thankfulness will come when trust in God is our habit. It's got to be a habit, doesn't it? Our bank accounts won't save us. Our chiefs won't save us. Duck and hide. The royal spring training excitement will die by the 1st of April. (laughs) What else do we got, guys? But what will save us is we trust not in princes or chariots or horses, the psalmist says, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I pray as you go today, as you spend time with your, your family this week or friends or, or acquaintances or all the above, that, that your trust is not in what you do, but what Christ has done for you. Guys, we have been given so much, haven't we? We've been given eternal life. We've been given a shelter. We've been given clothes on our backs. We, we have more than we deserve or have, and we, we need to be reminded of those things. Take those simple blessings. But in the midst of those, remember to always rejoice to always pray and always give thanks. What is God's will for your life? It might be to go to India. It might be to work in the job you have, but the first thing he says is to give thanks. If you want to go save people in a foreign country, but you're an ungrateful person here, you better question whether it's the right time for you to go overseas. And how much more in our families. Guys, let me just say a word about our church. I'm going to challenge us in days ahead as we look at the structure of our church, as we look at the direction of our church, as we as a body pray through things about our church, that we rejoice together, that we pray together, and that we give thanks together. I love Tower View Baptist Church. We love you all very, very much. You're a sweet congregation. We disagree on some finer points of theology like sports teams, but we agree that Jesus is going to be king overall. Guys, as you go, remind yourself that God has given you everything you need right in his son, Jesus Christ. That's not pie in the sky. That's what you're banking your eternity on when you walk out of here, that Jesus has got you, and he's got you now, and he's got you forever. What a joy it is. Amen. Let's pray as we close out. Fathers, we come before you. Lord, these are impossible commands. We, we in, our, in, our, in our flesh, cannot live these out. We, we can't. Lord, they literally are impossible. Yet, Paul told us to to not settle for the mediocre. He told us to go big or go home, spiritually speaking. That, Father, even when things are sour, even when things are good, to rejoice always. 
Father, to, to, to remember that even when we're in our strongest season of life, whatever that is in, in health or business or, or family, or Father, that, that we are called to pray always. For if we are strong, Father, we, we will be weak because we don't pray. And when we're weak, we will be strong if we do pray. And Father, to give thanks in all circumstances, even when things don't go our way, even as we pray for godly things to go our way, for people to be saved, for, for, for things to grow, for things to flourish, for things to come about perhaps quicker, Father, than, 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 than your timing would have, we give thanks for all circumstances. Father, I again pray this is not just pie-in-the-sky theology. This is just good words that sound good in a sermon but really have no reality in our lives. Father, take what we've read this morning, these three short verses, and plant them in our hearts. May they become habits of ours even when things get tough and even when things are super, super good. Father, we thank you so much. This church is in your hands. Thank you for Tower View Baptist Church. We love each and every person here, Father, all those that you'll bring, all those that you continue to have with us. Thank you so much. We're grateful, Father, mostly for your Son, in whose name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.